Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Wednesday, January 12th, and you're tuned into the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, joined by Paul Hoynes. Hoynesy, we're, uh, we're still in a lockout, but good news is for the first time since December 1st, both sides are going to sit down and have substantive talks about some of these core major issues that, that led to this lockout in the first place. And up on the, up on the agenda, they've got a meeting set up for Thursday between the Major League Baseball and the Players Association. Uh, a lot of topics that they're going to talk about. One of them, uh, they're going to borrow an idea uh, possibly from uh, the, the National Basketball Association and maybe institute a draft lottery uh, to, to avoid uh, instances of tanking that we've seen uh, across the board uh, for the last several years. Uh, teams that are out of the chance of the possibility of making playoffs uh, trying to improve their draft picks by, uh, you know, not putting their best teams on the field. Yeah, I think that's a great idea, Joe. I think it's an idea that can uh, work for both sides. And, uh, you know, it gives, uh, you know, it, it, you know, obviously, you know, it incentivizes teams, uh, you know, not to, uh, not, not to lose 100 games, to uh, at least try to field decent teams. And uh, I think it really helps teams uh, like uh, the Guardians who try to put a winning team on the field, you know, but sometimes, you know, they just, you know, like this past season, they go 80 and 82 and maybe, uh, you know, they make it, they make it into that lottery and, you know, they, they draw the right ping pong ball and they get a number one pick because this is a team that, you know, has rarely, if ever really picked high in the draft. If you think, if you think about it, I mean, what I think uh, Clint Frazier maybe was a fifth was a fifth overall choice I think maybe in two thousand whatever whatever year he was drafted in and that's probably the highest pick they've had in a long long time so you know I think it would it would help it would ease you know it was it would give the ease the players concern you know it, and it would also you know make teams uh, you know look at those veteran those thirty year old veteran free agents that are kind of get free are squeezed out of the market the last three or four years. If you could sign those guys for a one or two year deals and, and help your club and, uh, you know, put a winning product on the field. Well, what it does is it, it, it doesn't guarantee that the team with the very worst record is going to get that number one pick is going to get that high pick. So, 
yeah, it, it makes you kind of want to stay and it doesn't make you want to stay in that middle uh, necessarily, but it, it, it makes you realize that if you try to drop down to those, you know, last five picks in, in terms of the, you know, the, the order of your, your record, it, it's really not going to help you any to do that. So it, it's no, it's no help for you to finish, you know, 30th out of 30 teams in terms of record. If you've got as not, not necessarily as good a chance, but, you know, among the chances to, to finish in the 25, 26, and you still have a shot to, to get that number one pick. Uh, I would think that they would have to do some sort of uh, control over that process. Like the, the NBA has done uh, because the NBA didn't like the, the idea that a team uh, that finished with the, you know, 18th worst record or, or so uh, was getting multiple picks uh, in, in the, was lucking out and getting those, those number one picks multiple times. So uh, there is a way that the NBA controls that ping pong scenario. It's not just a blind luck thing. Uh, at least it's a better system right now than, you know, the, uh, the frozen envelope that David Stern pulled out of the, uh, out of the bin to get Patrick Ewing the one year uh, and, and the conspiracy theories that, that abounded from that. But, in general, the teams that finish with the, the bottom like three or four worst records are the ones that in some differing order will have that number one pick. But it's not always guaranteed that if you have the worst pick just because you have those best odds, you're, you're going to get the pick. So uh, I think something like that would be more effective for Major League Baseball. But uh, and, and hell... Uh, the, the league likes to put to make these made for TV, you know, events on, on MLB network where you can have them in the studio in, in New Jersey and uh, in that baseball field studio and have the ping pong balls drawn and all that. So, you know, let's, let's see that. Let's do that and, and make it fun for the teams. Yeah. My only concern over that Joe is how long that would take to uh, get the mechanism up and running you know, and they're, they're, you know, they put themselves in a the corner here. Spring training's, what, five weeks away. Can they do that? You know, can they, can they reach an agreement on that? And, you know, all the details worked out before, uh, you know, to, to get this up and running. So I think, you know, I, I don't know if that's something you would table, but I think it's definitely a good idea. Uh, also rumored on the agenda is the elimination of the the qualifying offer system, uh, which has been in place for a few years now, uh, where uh, at the end of the year, you can offer your veteran uh, free agent players the uh, a, a set number and it's a one-year deal. They, they accept it or they reject it. And there's draft pick compensation if they reject it. Yeah, I think that's, you know, they, they've modified that the last two basic agreements. That seems like something the owners, you know, have some leeway on, would have some give to, to it. I think they would, they would be willing to negotiate on that. Yeah, that's, it's definitely something. And it's, it's really worked against um, uh, players, you know, over the last couple of years, just because uh, they're not getting these as many of these qualifying offers. And what, because when they reject them, uh, it's, it's tied to those draft picks. So, you know, teams don't want to have to give up uh, draft picks. That's why you're not seeing a lot of uh, guys getting these qualifying offers who, who might have otherwise. And the last, what, the last basic agreement, they said a, a player can only be offered a qualifying offer once. 
So, right. you know, that shows some willingness, some give and take there. So, uh, you know, I think that, that they, there's some room for, for negotiations there. Right. Uh, universal DH, it was something that we sort of expected uh, to be on the table. Uh, and, and it was something that we thought maybe we were going to see uh, during this past season, but they sort of held on to it uh, and are using it as a, a bargaining chip in, in this negotiation. Yeah, I think that's probably the, the first thing that gets, you know, agreed to uh, in, in these negotiations, Joe. That's, that's like a fringe, a fringe uh, you know, item on the agenda, on the, check, on the checklist. Just, okay, we, I think everybody, it's pretty clear, you know, all 30 teams want this. Maybe some national, there's probably some National League holdouts, but I think this is, that's like a... Uh, that that's like a minor de, a minor item in in these negotiations. I would yeah, say. if if both sides want it, if both the players and the the, uh, the um, teams want it, I, I guess it's not much of a bargaining chip. It's more like a formality. Uh, the last thing that was rumored out there was increasing the major league minimum and the the pay for younger players. Uh, you know, an example of it would have been uh, you know prior to uh, you know up until this point and prior to reaching arbitration. A guy like Shane Bieber uh, could, was legitimately, he was making the major league minimum every year. Yeah, you know, and, you know, I, I was looking back on uh, the last lockout, Joe, and uh, the basic agreement, you know, the basic pay when they reached the deal went up to $100,000 a year. <laughs> now, that was 1990, so now it's up to about five seventy five. I would think it would go up to probably six hundred, dollars I mean, probably seven around 700000 you know, for the basic, for, uh, you know, the, the, the basic salary for, for a rookie, uh, you know, and that's, I think that's, that, that's another thing like the DH that's okay. We can, I think we all agree on that. Let's move on. Yeah. The next yeah. item. Boy, the, uh, the guardians are going to find ways to increase that payroll one way or another. Right. Uh, <laughs> if you, you've got 25 major league guys making the major league minimum and the major league minimum goes up, there you go. You increased your payroll that year. Way to go. Uh, the Speaking of the Guardians, they did make uh, several front office promotions. We're going to talk about those in a bit. There's a couple of other uh, guys here that, that I want to mention uh, making headlines, making news. Uh, one of them, a three-time World Series champion, is retiring. A uh, guy who was a thorn in Cleveland's side, certainly. Uh, John Lester is, is going to step down uh, after, what, 16 years? Uh, in, in, in the big leagues, uh, he's going to retire. Uh, he was instrumental in the 2016 World Series for Chicago in, in beating uh, Cleveland. Uh, John Lester stepping away after, a, you know, is, is he a Hall of Famer? Is he a guy who you, we could see under consideration for Cooperstown at some point? He could be, uh, Joe. Uh, I don't think he'll be a Hall of Famer for picking his, his move to first base, though. What the guy? What he? What, what moved? What what moved to first base? He doesn't have one. <laughs> and uh, I'll never forget what the you know game seven when he comes in there and bounces bounces that wild pitch off the the catcher's uh, headgear and uh, what uh, you know Santana and Kipnis scored on that play uh, on the wild pitch. But uh, yeah, he he was a thorn in the Indian side. Great career overcame cancer, you know, with the Red Sox, uh, really, you know, did a great job. And, uh, you know, he finished his season strong this past season. 
yeah, I, certainly everything he's been through. And, uh, you know, as far as I, I just a guy who would never throw over to first base. That's just that that's what I think of when I think of John Lester. That's that's the first thing I think of. And, of course, all of the horrific nightmares of, uh, you know, the last two games of the World Series in, in 2016. But uh, certainly a guy who's, uh, you know, had a, had a great career. Uh, also, speaking of Hall of Fame, uh, we're watching some of these numbers come in and we're, we're approaching uh, the announcement here uh, date soon for, for the Hall of Fame uh, uh, ballots that were collected uh, up until December 31st. But from what we're seeing and, and what the, the way things are tracking, uh, David Ortiz, uh, it looks like he could be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, do, do you do you think David Ortiz is a first ballot guy? Yeah, I voted for him, Joe. I think he is a first ballot guy. Uh, you know, there is some. Uh, you know, I'm I'm sure there'll be some kind of blowback uh, because of uh, the steroid rumors. You know, that that first that test and that blind test in 2003, where he reportedly uh, tested positive on the tests that were supposed to be you know, confidential and eventually came out. Um, but, uh, you know, the commissioner, uh, Rob Manfred, a couple years ago came out and said, there's no, you know, there, there was no def definitive, you know, evidence of who tested positive uh, in those tests that were revealed, you know, and, you know, there's been a lot of names kicked around and he was one of them. But after that, there's been, you know, there hasn't been a connection with Ortiz and, and, and PEDs. So, you know, I think uh, you probably, you know, you're splitting hairs, but I just thought he was a great hitter, Joe. Great, um, great clutch hitter in the postseason. Uh, you know, just a, um, he was a force. He was only, he was a DH, yes. But, uh, you know, I thought he, uh, you know, he really kind of personified that position. And when him and Ramirez were, you know, hitting back to back, that was, that was a dangerous, dangerous lineup in, in, in Boston. Yeah, just an extraordinary story about where he came from, uh, how he got to Boston. He was he was left for dead in Minnesota. He was he was on the trash heap, and and uh, and Boston picked him up, and from there he just took off. He uh, he was a Hall of Famer when he stepped on the field for Boston. He just he hit from the beginning and 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 never stopped. And then he became sort of like this almost this folklore character after a while, you know, you, you win a title with, with Boston and then you, you, you're consistent for so many years, uh, you know, and by the end he was, he, I, I remember that, uh, you know, in 2016, pretty much the, in, uh, the Indians ended his career in the playoffs, you know, and, and he wasn't exactly the hitter that he was prior to that, but he was still a guy who every time he stepped into the batter's box, everybody in the park, stopped and watched the at bat because he could go and, and take you out to right field at any time. He could also work the at bat and, you know, hit a bloop single uh, up the middle that, you know, extends a, a, a playoff game and, and you wind up beating the Yankees. I, that, these, these are the kinds of things, these magical moments that he had. Uh, and, you know, he, and he takes the microphone on what uh, Patriots day and he, he, he drops an F-bomb in front of the crowd, and, and the city of Boston just loves it. Yeah, after the uh, bombing, the Boston Marathon bombing, yeah. That was, uh, you know, he was the face of the franchise. The, and that, that 2004 World Series is the one that sticks out to me, Joe, when he 
you know, when they came back after being down 0-3 uh, to the Yankees. And, and he had those two big hits, you know, in at Fenway, I think, to extend, to get the mm-hmm. game, to get the series back to Yankee Stadium. You know, I, you know, the, especially the one in extra innings that 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 single that you were talking about. Right, right. And I, there was a, there was, I think, and then the next night he hit another big. There was a next. Hit, I, I don't know if I've got my days, my games mixed up, but it was like two games in a row that he drove in a critical run that really, you know, gave the gave the Red Sox a chance and kept them in the series. Right. So, uh, you know, just on the strength of those those things. Uh, you know, certainly uh, worthy of, of Hall of Fame uh, inclusion, I think, uh, as we move forward. Uh, lastly, uh, Keith Hernandez is going to have his uh, number retired by the Mets this season. Uh, Keith Hernandez, who, who right now looks like uh, the My Pillow guy, who uh, I saw a headshot of, of Keith Hernandez, and I thought it was a story about uh, the, uh, the, the political guy. Uh, what's his name? I, I forget his name. Uh, the Mike Lindell, Mike Lindell, the my pillow guy who gets on and, and rants about crazy conspiracy theories. I uh, saw Hernandez's headshot and I thought, oh, they're going to retire the number of the uh, the my pillow guy at, at Met Stadium, at at, uh, at uh, City Field. Uh, anyways, uh, Keith Hernandez uh, played for the Mets. Also, uh, I guess played for the Indians. Uh, or, you know, a one-time Indian. Uh, they're they're certain, like like you like you said before we started recording. They're not going to be retiring Keith Hernandez's number in Cleveland. No, uh, Keith Hernandez, you know, he signed, uh, he, you know, he came the, the year that the Indians made the trade for, um, they traded Joe Carter for uh, Bayerga and uh, Bayerga and Sandy Alomar and Chris James. They also, uh, you know, signed Keith Hernandez as a free agent. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a big, uh, you know, it was a kind of a big deal because, you know, he had, he had the great pedigree from St. Louis and the Mets, you know, he was a team leader, but he came to Cleveland and he was on his last legs, literally, I think, uh, you know, he, he, he hurt his calf muscle and, and that was it, Joe. And that was until Lonnie Chisenhall came along. That was <laughs> the only career ending calf muscle injury that I, that I'd ever heard of. And, uh, that uh, you know, Keith uh, made his money uh, with with the uh, with uh, Cleveland, but he didn't play a whole lot. But I, he did, you know, just when he did play Joe, I, he was really a great defensive first baseman. He he was really he was really fun to watch playing playing first base. Right. Yeah. That's uh, that's where he sort of left an impression was that that defensive uh, presence that he gave at, at first base. So uh, he's he's beloved in in uh, in in New York and uh, among Mets fans, and you know that's great for him uh, being honored in that way. So, but uh, definitely never going to get his jersey retired here in Cleveland. Uh, all right, I uh, want to bounce back and talk about the uh, promotions in the uh, Cleveland front office that were announced yesterday, uh, with the move of Carter Hawkins uh, going to the Cubs and he's going to serve as their general manager that basically makes, you know, it's, it just sort of adds to the list of names like Derek Falvey, Ross Atkins, Ben Charrington. Uh, These are all guys who are with uh, teams like Minnesota, uh, Pittsburgh, Toronto, uh, where some of this young front office talent from Cleveland has moved on and, and has found success. Uh, with that, you know, it, it's sort of like what the, the Guardians are able to do with their p- 
pitching development and, and program there. They churn out elite starting pitchers left and right. They're also producing some, some pretty good front office guys uh, that, that have gone on to, to careers, you know, outside of the, the Cleveland organization. Yeah. I mean, there's a, uh, um, there's in, uh, you know, Cleveland uh, executives all over baseball, uh, really that have gotten their start with Cleveland. You know, you think of, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, Hawkins just left. You think of, uh, you know, Danny O'Dowd and, and, and John Hart and, uh, you know, Mark Shapiro, uh, you know, all the, you know, just the, the, it just, the list goes on and on and on. And, uh, you know, you know, I've been talking to uh, Chris Antonetti, he, he was, he's, you know, he, they're, they're not afraid to, uh, you know, put people in, in position to have success with the knowledge that, you know, if they become successful when they, and they do a good job that the, you know, that they always, that they could leave at any time. And, uh, you know, so they have a, a line of succession in, in place and they keep giving people, you know, opportunities to succeed. And, you know, that they really have, uh, you know, created, you know, probably one of the best front offices around. Right. Uh, and, and that starts with Antonetti mm -hmm. and Mike Chernoff and those guys at the top and, and their approach to sort of being this incubator system as well as, you know, it, it produces for Cleveland and, and the, the club has found success over the long term with these guys at the top and, and sort of uh, more of these executives filtering up. But uh, like you said, they're not afraid to let them sort of branch out and they've, they've never denied any team uh, an opportunity to interview a, uh, an executive or, or a, an up and comer. Uh, some of these names that I'm going to mention here in, in a second are names that we've talked about in the past as, as far as, you know, how the Indian or how the Indians and now guardians have, uh, you know, built their development system and, 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 you know, made themselves successful. Uh, these, these names will pop up every once in a while, but don't be surprised in the future. If we, if you hear us talking about, these are the names of guys who are being rumored for the next, you know, GM position at so-and-so or, or with another team. Uh, Matt Foreman, who's been with the, the club since 2013. Uh, he's now the executive vice president and assistant general manager. Uh, so he added the executive vice president title uh, to his, his uh, resume. Uh, and Eric Binder, uh, who's also been with the club since 2013, he becomes uh, an assistant general manager, as well as James Harris. Uh, James Harris in his sixth year with the club. Uh, and this is a guy, uh, James Harris is a guy that we've talked to uh, in his role as a, a previous role as a player development director. Uh, and now he's an assistant general manager. So he's going to have, you know, even more responsibilities, a broader sort of sense. But James Harris was a guy who's he's an impressive dude to, to just talk to uh, with a football background and, you know, coming from, I, I believe, University of Nebraska. And he helped on, on Chip Kelly's staff. Uh, just a, a, a really impressive person to talk to. You get a great sense of why they like this guy and why they want to keep him around. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, he, they've done a great job uh, uh, with, um, you know, the minor league system. They've revitalized it. And uh, James has been a part of that. Uh, you know, Carter Hawkins, I think, was was probably, you know, James steps into a Car Carter Hawkins role right now. 
because uh, Carter was, you know, kind of overseeing the minor league system and also as was the assistant GM. Now uh, uh, James uh, steps into that role. You know, Binder, uh, you know, has a big role in, in the pitching philosophy of the ball club, uh, kind of, uh, you know, uh, taking over for Derek Falvey, who, you know, is running the Twins now. You know, Binder, uh, you know, Falvey was, had that role with his, you know, with, uh, with, you know, setting up the uh, pitching situation and Binder is, you know, is, is it has, uh, you know, has taken over those duties now. So, uh, you know, it, it's an interesting, uh, you know, kind of flow chart. The guys just kind of move up the ladder. And if you notice, Joe, there's, there's not too many guys that are, that are in the Indians front office that have only been here two or three or three years, you know, all all these guys have been here for a while, you know, like 10 years for Foreman, uh, you know, six years for Harris, you know, guys that have, that have, you know, uh, Paul Gillespie, 16 seasons, you know, who's the senior vice president of scouting. So, you know, I think, you know, that helps, you know, that, that establishes that uh, really strong foundation. Yeah, the, the guys at the top all have somewhere between like 10 and 16 years experience with the club. Uh, Harris having six might, might be the, the least, uh, the, the fewest, but uh, everybody else sort of uh, the, the director level uh, folks all have, you know, around that 10 years or fewer experience with the club. And you can see them building uh, up, that, up that ladder for sure. I uh, want to mention some of these other names of guys, uh, Victor Wong, uh, is uh, he be- becomes a senior vice president of player acquisitions. And, you know, he had been in more of a um, sort of a research and uh, acquisitions role uh, previously. Um, Paul Gillespie, you mentioned, he's uh, the senior vice president of scouting now. Lonnie Soloff, uh, a guy who had, had been the on-field trainer for so many years, uh, senior vice president of medical services. So he sort of increases his role there. Uh, and includes like sports science and psychology. Uh, but uh, the guys uh, that, that moved into or, or, or moved up uh, as, as far as Alex Eckelman and Alex Merberg, uh, Eckelman becomes the vice president of hitting. He was the, uh, the club's director of hitting um, and like the, the minor league uh, hitting coordinator uh, previously. And now um, Merberg becomes the uh, baseball operations development guy, a vice president there. Um, He's sort of like the numbers guy. Uh, He'll be using, uh, you know, data and research, evidence-based coaching. Uh, So, so he's, he's sort of the, uh, the analytics uh, guy right there is is Merberg. Uh, Those are two names sort of behind the scenes guys who, who uh, are very important in terms of the day-to-day operation of the, uh, the ball club. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, Eckelman, uh, you know, traveled with the club, you know, for three or four years. He was, uh, uh, you know, kind of a, you know, like an assistant hitting coach. He would he would do the scouting reports. And now, you know, he's he's gone up into the front office. He played he played at Ohio State. He reached triple A ball. Um, so, uh, you know, he 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 so he le- kind of along, you know, so he's he's kind of, you know, formulates the, the hitting program for the organization. And the good thing about this, Joe, you see these guys on the road, the Indians, uh, or I should say the guardians, when they travel, they always have at least one front office, you know, guy, you know, as a liaison 
with the team, you know, kind of, you know, connecting with the coaching staff and, uh, you know, you know, and, and the front office, you know, so there's always, you know, a free flow of information. And I think, you know, that's, that, that really helps, that really helps, uh, you know, the communication between uh, manager Terry Francona, the coaching staff and, uh, you know, Antonetti and Chernoff and the, and the rest of the front office. Uh, I wanted to mention one other note that sort of jumped out of this release uh, for me. Uh, Andrew Bainhart, uh, or Bainert is the, is got promoted to director of physical development. Uh, Bainert spent 10 years working with Australian rules, football clubs. And now, and he came to the, uh, to Cleveland in 2019 uh, as the director of physical development, he's going to be in charge of uh, minor league strength and conditioning and nutrition. So this is the guy who, you know, like the young players come into the organization and he's sort of their drill sergeant in terms of, you know, getting them beefed up and telling them what to eat and what not to eat. This is a guy who worked with Australian rules football teams for 10 years. So he's used to like toothless, like, uh, uh, you know, hooligans running around, you know, just creaming each other on the field. And uh, he's going to be the guy who's in charge of nutrition and strength for uh, all of uh, uh, Cleveland's draft picks for the next several years. Uh, I think it's a great move. You're going to see some monsters out there on the field for, for the Guardians. Maybe he can maybe he can explain the rules, Joe, because I've watched that game and I still don't know what's going on. They I can mean, hit the ball forward with with their uh, with their hand. They can kick it forward with their with their. They can kick that, it forward. They can run. It, it's it's the craziest. Game. And they have those four goalposts. And I don't know if they you know do they kick it. How many points do you get it through? You know, when you kick it through those goalposts, what? How many points do you get exactly? You know, two guys on the side on the side the, of the, the, post, the referees, the white flags. Yep, yep. Well, you've got a you've got a, a rugby background, obviously. So, so seeing a guy hit the ball forward like that has to be strange for you to see that, right? Yeah, because in rugby you can only pass it backwards, you know. So it is, it is really. So I was, I was fired up when I saw that. You know, sure. it reminded me what a crocodile Dundee. Who would the, he had the one, his one buddy. I forget what he called him, dog or something. And he was an yeah. Australian rules football player. Yeah, it's. Uh... I don't, I don't need a knife. I got a donk. And what's a donk? <laughs> yeah. guy, he, he headbutts him. Yeah, that's 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 great. Uh, all right, Hoysie, we're going to wrap it up for today. Uh, we will be back on Friday to talk about the AL West as we uh, um, uh, sort of continue our, our path through the uh, uh, what the teams did before the lockout. But we weren't expecting this much news on a, on a Wednesday uh, uh, podcast. So uh, we, we decided to, to change course here a little bit. Uh, talk to you again on Friday here on the Cleveland Baseball Talk Podcast. Good deal, Joe.